I'm here at the brook. I just want to say welcome, welcome. I, I hope and pray that you uh, feel the love of God in this place uh, today. Um, my name is Pastor Jeremy. I'm, I'm one of the leaders here at the brook. I've been serving here since the day that uh, P.E. or Pastor Eric came up to me and said, hey, what do you think about the name, the brook? And it's uh, it's been it's been an honor to to serve God here, and I pray I pray that today, man, you just you just get to know the great the great love of God. Um, we we want to be honest. There's a lot of things going on in in our congregation um, right now. It just seems like um, Satan does not let up on um, his attack over our lives. Um, we have a few people who are sick um, in um, in our church right now, namely um, our, our brother. Um, Angel, um, continue to pray for him. We want to continue to pray for his um, for his health, um, and we want to continue um, to see God move miraculously. Um, God ultimately has um, the final word, so that's what we're we're waiting on. Um, so, would you join me in prayer? Father, we need you this morning. Lord, I need you this morning. Father, today we come with many worries. Lord, many concerns. Lord, and if we're honest, many of us even might feel like you failed us. Lord, and many of us know too that we failed you. God, and this morning, Lord, I just want to pray, Lord, that you would give us a word. God, that you would lift our head from where we've been and where we are. Heavenly Father, I want to pray for our brother, Lord, Angel, right now. God, I want to pray over his body. Lord, I want to pray, oh God, that you would bring healing what we ask you for, Lord. We ask that you would bring comfort, that you would bring strength, Lord, and that you would remind him, Lord, that he is not forgotten. God, so we just intercede for him right now, Lord. For the rest of us, God, we just want to pray, Lord, that your word would massage our hearts, Lord. We want to pray that your word, Lord, would give us hope, that your word would give us truth, Lord. And that your word would teach us how to walk this morning, Lord. God, I'm so broken, Lord. God, that I'm not deserving of being a preacher of your word. Lord. But I thank you, Lord, for your grace and for your mercy, Lord. So I just ask you, Lord, that you would use me this morning. And I ask you, Lord, that you would use your word, Lord, to bring comfort to people. No matter what they've done, Lord. we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Last week we talked about how did I get here? And it's the story of of King David. King David um, was a man who was known as being a man after God's own heart. And as a man after God's own heart, he did some pretty incredible things because he walked closely with God. Yet, when he, when he moved up to being king, the, prom, the promise that God gave him, 
Last week we talked about how King David got a little bit too comfortable and he fell into some deep sin. And Pastor Eric preached about the question, how did I get here? How can we go from one moment to praising God and walking with God and then the next moment failing God and covering up and living in secret for a long time? How did we get here? Well, today, I want to talk about how do I get out? How do I get out? We're going to do something a little bit different right now. Can you look to your neighbor and say, how do I get out? Okay. I think we could do a little better than that. Look to your neighbor. I know it's a little awkward for introverts. Say, how do I get out? What? When I think about getting out, I I think about my mom and my relationship with my mom. And the reason why I think about my relationship with my mom is because my mom was somebody who from the get-go, she would let me know what not to do. She would say, you're going to go to this place and you're going to be tempted to do this. I'm going to tell you ahead of time, don't do it. As a matter of fact, as I was thinking about the, the, the children going to, to, to the children's church, I thought about my mom for a second because I, I vividly remember I was going to children's church, um, kind of like the brook is going downstairs, and the teacher was like right next to me, and my mom stops me and the teacher, and she like, she like points to, to the teacher to look at me, and she like has this conversation with me, and she says, Jeremy. If you misbehave, if you don't do what you're supposed to in class, and Jeremy, if you talk back to your teacher, you have a problem with me. You have a problem with me. And she's going to tell me that you messed up. You're going to have a problem with me. So I was like, man, this is really awkward. Um, Really embarrassed. You see, my mom established a law. And my mom established a law because when I was outside of our home, she wanted me to reflect our home. Even more than that, my mom established a law because she wanted to protect me from danger. There are certain ways that I should have acted no matter where I was because failure to act that way would put me in some really deep danger. But furthermore, and this was the scariest part to me, is it protected me from her wrath. I didn't want to go home getting in trouble with my mom because the stakes were higher with my mom than it was with my teacher. And you see, God has a law. And God gave this law so that we could reflect him. And not only did he give us this law to reflect him here on earth, God also gave us this law in order to protect us from danger. And not only just danger that we face in the world, God gave us a law in order to protect us from danger of himself. Because God is holy and God is just and God has called us to live for him. So failure to not do that ultimately ends up and us making ourselves enemies to God. So the question is, 
what is God's law? Before we get into anything. And God's law is summed up this way. In Matthew 22, I'm going to read it to you. Verse 37 through 39. Jesus, he says this about God's law. He sums it up. He says, this is the law. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. And then he says, that commandment is like the second one. He says, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. So what Jesus is saying is failure to love God and failure to love other people is an abomination to God's rule and reflection here on earth. And King David, as we studied last week, he broke God's love. More specifically, David coveted another man's wife. David murdered a man, the wife or the husband of that wife. Her name was Bathsheba, and he committed adultery. Adultery. He did not love God to the point that he committed um, a, a, a horrible act against God's people. So today we're going to be in Psalm 51. If you could turn your Bible, to your Bibles there, we're going to be in Psalm 51. If, if you don't have a Bible, you can use the Bible in the front there. Psalm 51. And we're going to be looking at the entire, the entire Psalm. And in the pew Bible in front of you, or the the seat under you, it's page 474, 474, Psalm 51, Psalm 51. And what we're going to see in Psalm 51 is we're going to see the character of God, we're going to see the wisdom of God, and then what we're going to see is the cleansing of God. So we're going to see the character of God, the wisdom of God, and the cleansing of God. And this is our, our only hope, only hope. But the first thing that we see is the character of God. But more specifically, what we're going to see is that the character of God overcomes our failure before God. I want you to read with me in verses 1 and 2. This is what King David says. He says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. What we see here is that David is asking God on the basis of God's character. He asked God specifically according to God's steadfast love and God's abundant mercy. Whenever you see God's steadfast love or love and kindness and God's abundant mercy covenant together, that's code for saying, God, deal with me according to your covenant. What's a covenant? A covenant is an agreement. And God made an agreement with God's people. Throughout history, God told a people that he would call out call them out of the world so that they would worship him alone, love him alone, and love the world like he has loved them. And he said he would bless them, and he would multiply them, and they would fill the entire earth. 
And this is found through a man named Abraham in the book of Genesis. So here, what David is saying is, God, be true to your promise, or like being true to your promise, deal with me according to that. As a matter of fact, I think about this when I think about Moses. Moses was a mighty man of God who delivered God's people. And Moses made a lot of mistakes. And God's people made a lot of mistakes. They often rebelled against God's love and God's love for other people. And this is what David says at one point in in Exodus 34, 6 and 7. He says, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. But who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting, oh, excuse me, I'm not supposed to read that. Let's take a step back. So what David is doing is David is echoing God's covenant. And he's asking God, deal with me on that basis. See, God's steadfast love, because it's based on his covenant, based on his everlasting covenant, it tells us that God's love is the type of love that's everlasting and never changes. The mercy of God is the type of love that withholds the punishment that we deserve for disobeying God. So God's steadfast love and God's abundant mercy gives us better than we deserve. David, he committed two sins that were meant to have capital punishment. David, under the God's law, because he, he had adultery with another woman, he, he was supposed to be stoned. And not only that, David was supposed to be stoned because he murdered a man. His, his blood was on David's hands. So here David is saying, God, according to your steadfast love and your abundant mercy, don't give me what I know I deserve. I know that I deserve capital punishment for what I've done. But how does David know this? How does David know to ask God to not deal with him according to what he deserves? How does David know that? We see that in verses Um, three through six he says for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me that word transgression and that word sin or transgression means rebellion and sin means violation and he says my rebellion and the violation that I've committed is always on my mind it's always on my heart I can't escape it and, and David actually covered up this sin. He covered up this life for about nine months. So think about this. He's, he's really going through it. He's saying, God, I know what I've done. Then he says this, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. So here, David says God's judgment. He says, I have sinned against what God has said and what God 
thinks is right to do. I have failed God in this. And then he says, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. And in my sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being. And you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. What is David trying to say? What David is trying to say is that God's word and God's judgment has been revealed to all of us. God would speak through prophets. God would raise up people to call people back to God. And David, he was hiding in his rebellion for a long time. And God raised up this man named Nathan. And Nathan tells him, you have sinned against God and you are uncovered. I'm paraphrasing. And then David, he says, I have sinned against the Lord. And throughout the history, God raised up other prophets that recorded this Bible. And this is how we know what God's judgments are for our lives. Some of us might be thinking like, man, I've never read the Bible I don't know exactly all of God's judgments. I don't exactly know how God, like, like knows what, I don't exactly know what's right and wrong. I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about children. You ever seen children? When you tell a child not to do something, what do they often do? They do it, right? They're, like, tempted to do it, right? The moment you tell a child, don't. Don't touch that, that entrufle. I don't know what that's called. The, the power, what is that called in English? The power outlet, sorry. What does a kid do? They're like, they're like itching to like touch that power outlet, right? But, but even further, I was, I was thinking about this and I ran across this, this anthropologist. Anthropologists study culture. They study specifically cultures that are not Western or, or not technologically advanced. They're like isolated away from everything. And anthropologists have noted that in any society, even if they don't have contact with like technology and things like that, people have a moral sense of right and wrong. Every person. And this is what this, this anthropologist by the name of... Um, Robert Priest says, he's talking about moral failure, and he says, when anthropologists do field work, it means when they study people, he says this, they listen as people talk about moral rights and duties of husband and wife, father and son, mother's brother and sister's son, interpersonal conflicts with their accusations, expressions of indignation, jealous, a jealous defense of marital rights, and they express guilt, remorse, and shame. And these are universally present. So we see this all around us. And this is what David is saying here in the text in verse 5 and 6. He says, Lord, this is your judgment. I was born as someone who had the natural tendency to violate your love. I've wanted to love myself and not love other people. And then he says, and you have taught me this in my inward being, and you teach this wisdom in the secret heart. And this is, this is really dope because it's, it's kind of like a playoff words. In some translations, after he says, I was conceived or I was born a sinner, some translations say that in, in, in the womb, you taught me faithfulness. 
in the womb, you taught me faithfulness. So what David is saying is that even if you've never word, read God's word, deep down inside, you have an inner sense of right and wrong. I remember this one time I was, um, when I first became a Christian, I was like debating um, this dude like in the parking lot. It was like the weirdest thing. And he was telling me like, like, you know, right and wrong is really, really relative. So meaning like what may be right to you might not necessarily be wrong, might be right to me or vice versa. What may be wrong to you might not be wrong to me. So I was like, man, there's some people on the south side um, of, of where I lived, who, who they, they believe, and I know some of them, they believe that, that killing another person is nece- is, might be a good thing. Would you agree with that? And he was like, um, no, I don't, I don't agree. Why, why don't you agree with that? Because that's clearly wrong. But how could you say that that's wrong, bro? You just said what might be right for me might not be right for you. How, how can you say that murder is not, is, is not right if you're under that understanding? Now, I wasn't trying to, like, beat him up at that time. I was just saying, fam, that is so inconsistent for you to say. There is clearly a right and a wrong, and we all know it. And what David is doing here is he's clarifying that for us. He's saying God gave us that sense of right and wrong. And this is the reason why that sin constantly and always overwhelms us if we don't deal with it. So we see David begging God to remove his violation and his rebellion according to God's character. And then we see David saying that God's word and God's judgment is what reveals right and wrong, and we all know it. But David doesn't just stay there. And I hope this is the good news for us. David begins to use this illustration of God's cleansing power. Recently, I got my wife's car detailed. I never got in a a car detailed because I've never had a dope car. Um, So I had no reason to do that. But... But it was, it was real cool because I went to go get the car detailed. And, like, we got there, and they, like, you know, they greeted me with, like, a hug. It was, like, amazing. And then, um, like, they were, like, well, what, what do you want to do? I'm, like, yo, give, give, give it all to me. Like, like, hook it up for my wife. So, so, you know, I see these dudes, and I'm, like, watching them. You know how, like, when you go into a detailing service, you could see from the mirror, like, everything that they're doing, Right. So these guys, I mean, they're like waxing everything. They're like taking out paper. I mean, they're, they're doing all kinds of things. They start cleaning it out. They, they start taking all the gunk out of the sides. And then they go outside, and then they begin to wash it and wax it. And then it looks nice. And then we roll in the car, and you just feel like, man, I'm the man right now. I'm the man right now in the lady's car. But it's fresh. And you just feel this sense of, man, this thing is clean from the inside out. What's in David's inside? Join me in verse 7. He says, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. 
This is language of cleansing. So this is to say that David's violation and rebellion of God got so bad that he feels dirty. You ever felt like that? Have you ever felt like that when you sin against God? You just feel like dirty, like, man, I don't even know how to deal with myself. I don't even know how to show up to church. I don't even know how to show up and see my wife, see my husband because of the things that I've done. This is what David is feeling. He says, purge me of that. But even more, he says, let the joy in verse 8 and glad, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. So he says, man, I feel dirty, purge me. And then he says, man, I am so sorrowful. I'm so sad. God, please, let me rejoice. Let me be restored, God. Let me be happy, God. You know, many of us go through a lot of things. Many things that we can't control in our stories. Many of us have past trauma. Many of us have habits that we just saw emulated in our lives. Many of us just see just this world breaking down. We see our families breaking down. And many times, in an effort to fix those things, we just make things worse. Because we violate God trying to get out of those situations. And the only thing that that does is bring us more pain, brings us more sorrow, it brings us depression, it gives us anxiety, and this is what David is feeling. David is saying, man, I'm so dirty right now, God, I need you to purge me. God, I messed things up so bad. Even though I went through it. God, please just let me hear joy again. I don't want to be sad no more. And to make matters worse, he says, hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. He said, God, don't even look at my sin. And that's the way that sin is. Sin not only makes us unclean, and sin not only makes us sad, sin makes us ashamed. We don't want to tell people. We want to hide. We don't even want God to see us. Because we know that God sees us. We know what we've done is wrong. We don't want God to see that. We don't want people to see us. And here, this is what David feels. David says, hide your face from my sins, oh God. Hide your face from me. Hide your face. Don't look at what I've done. You know how desperate you have to be to tell God, don't look at what I've done? It's one thing to, 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 to say, man, I don't want other people to know what I've done. It's another thing to say, like, God, I don't even want to be with you. I don't even want you to look at me. This is what David is feeling. But in this, we see a glimmer of hope. We see a glimmer of hope. David knows something about God. He says, um, create in me a clean heart in verse 11. Verse 12, he says, restore the joy of my salvation. And then he says, uphold me with a willing spirit. I thought about this. How could David ask for these things? Like, how did David 
know to ask for these things. Well, in order to understand that, you need to understand that David needed a priest. And that day, David needed a priest. And part of what priests used to do is if somebody was unclean through a skin disease, they would, the priest would have to go outside of the camp because they were cast out because they, they didn't want those people to contaminate the rest of the camp. And the priest would have to go out there, kind of evaluate the situation before that person could come in. If they were healed, then what the priest would do is they would do this ceremony where they would throw um, the blood of, of, of birds on them seven times, like one, two, three, four four, five, six, seven, if they were healed. And that was a way to say that this person has been healed. I've evaluated it, and this person has been healed, and their affliction has been taken away by God. And that symbol was that bird. And they would use this thing called hyssop, and that's why it says purge me with hyssop. Now, what's interesting about that is after this, he would pronounce this person is clean. And then the priest would take another bird, and as a symbol that this person is clean, he would let that bird loose and say that this person can now be restored. So it was through the work of the priest and the authentication of a priest that somebody can be reinstilled into God's community. Now this is the good news for us. We don't have priest per se in the way that they did back in the day. Jesus in the book of Hebrews is called a high priest. And what's dope about Jesus, and this is the beautiful thing about Jesus, is that Jesus is is not only the one who pronounces you and restores you back into community. What Jesus does is Jesus takes the sacrifice for all of our uncleanliness. How did Jesus do this? Jesus died on a cross. And why did Jesus die on the cross? Because Jesus took the punishment that we deserved, making a new covenant between God and us. He stood in the gap. This is our great Lord. He stood in the gap for all of my rebellion and your rebellion, for all of your transgressions, for all of your sin. He died on the cross as a priest. But then he resurrected from the grave. And when he resurrected from the grave, you see what Jesus did is he gave us his spirit. In John chapter 7, Jesus says this. He says, come to me and I will give you living water. And then John, I love what John says, and John is a follower of Jesus. He says that that Jesus was talking about the Holy Spirit. So what Jesus does is Jesus takes the punishment that we deserve as a priest. Then Jesus pronounces that we are clean when we believe that Jesus took that punishment. And then what Jesus does is Jesus hooks us up with his Holy Spirit so that we can learn how to walk with Jesus clean. So when David says in verse 10 through 12, um, Give me a clean heart. Don't cast me away from your presence and take not me from your Holy Spirit. What David is saying is, God, make me new. Pronounce me new. Give me a new way of life. And church family, we have the good news that Jesus 
took care of that in full as our great priest. And that's the hope that we have. So we see how God cleanses us in light of God's character revealed through God's word. But it's interesting because David just doesn't stay there. Remember that deep cleaning? I said, you know, they, I mean, they did a deep cleaning to my wife's car, and then I was, I was outside just chilling, rolling. Damn, I hope people were like, yo, that's a fresh car. This is what David is trying to illustrate. David is saying, God, please clean me. And then in verse, um, and then, and then in verse 13, he says, then. Can you say then? He says, then I will teach transgressors, transgressors your ways. He says in verse 14 at the end, my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. In verse 15, my mouth will declare your praise. So what, what, what David is saying is, to the degree that you cleanse me, I will declare your name. Why? And I love this. I love this. Because at the end of verse uh, uh, nine or 18 and 19, there, there's this, this kind of plea that gives us a, a clue into why David is saying this. He says, do good to Zion in, good, in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. So here, what he's saying is, I want to teach, I want to sing, and I want to praise. And then at the end of the psalm, there's this thing that says, but build up Jerusalem. How does that, how do those things come together? How does he go from cleansing himself to teaching and then saying, um, we should build Jerusalem? Actually, this last thing was was given by a post-exile scribe. So David actually didn't write this. This was added to this psalm later for worship when God's people had rebelled against God again. And what God's people may have thought is like, man, we just need to build up Jerusalem and everything's going to be all good. We're going to be free from being captive. Here he says, I want to go. I want to, I, I want you to do good to Jerusalem, build up the walls, and then you'll delight in right sacrifices. What's what's the missing key to this? And I love this. What David is trying to uh, teach us is found in verse 17. He says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. You will not despise. So what David is trying to teach is that when God cleanses us, it breaks us down. You no longer live for yourself. You are made new. Then what David is trying to say is, I want to be new to the degree that I want to make you known. I want to make 
your cleansing known in my life. And how does that connect to Jerusalem? What he's saying is, you can't build up Jerusalem unless you make God known. And you can't make God known unless you're cleansed by God. So what he's saying is, if you want to build up your life, then you need to be cleansed by God, and then you need to teach that to other people. But what he's teaching specifically is this, that God will not reject a heart that he's operating on. God will not reject a heart that he has made. God will not reject that because if God rejects that, he's rejecting himself. So the question is, how do we get a broken spirit or brokenness in our inner self? And how do we get a contrite heart or a heart that's sorrowful for what we've done? How do we do this? Because this is what David is saying. This is the key to being restored back to God. In closing, I think about this other time with my mom. I used to love Twinkies. I still do, kind of. Don't tell my wife. But when I was a kid, my mom had this closet. It was like the biggest room in the house. It was like a walk-in closet, and she had, like, all these clothes in there. And one day, I saw my mom buy some Twinkies and put it in there. (laughs) I was a kid, by the way. I was a kid. Anyways, my mom... Like, she would always tell me, like, don't eat anything unless I approve of it. Don't eat anything like this unless I approve of it. But I saw she had some Twinkies. So one day, when my mom was out at work, or I don't know what she was doing, I went into the closet. And as I'm in the closet, I'm, like, looking for these Twinkies. I'm, like, in my mom's closet was, like, so packed. So I'm, like, moving everything. I'm, like, so that anyways, like, I, I come up on the Twinkies. I see them, like, at the top. And I was, like, really, really short at the time. So what I did was I lifted myself up. Like, I lifted myself. And I grabbed the Twinkie. And when I grabbed the Twinkies, I literally came down with her whole closet everything. I mean, everything. And if you see my mom's closet, she has all types of things. I mean, it was a mess. But I got the Twinkie. (laughs) Now, here's the thing, though. Later on that day, I just closed the closet, and I'm just chilling. You know, my mom sees me, and I'm just, you know, I'm acting like everything's normal. So my mom began to ask me, like, hey, Jeremy, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I'm okay. He's like, did you do something that you weren't supposed to? And I was like, nah, why are you asking me that? She leaves me alone for a little bit. Later on, hey, Jeremy, did you, did you uh, do something you weren't supposed to? I'm serious. And I'm like, nah, mom, I, I, didn't, I didn't do anything. Why, why are you accusing me, mom? Stop accusing me of stuff. And as I think about that, the reason why I didn't want to tell my mom was because I felt so remorse. I was ashamed 
that I went through all of that and did all of that just for some Twinkies. I didn't even want my mom to know I did that. So what I did was, before she came, I like tried to fix it and try. And I was like, "Oh my good, I don't. I'm not even good with tools." And I'm like trying to, I'm trying to do that. And then, and then I, and then I just closed it. And I'm like, man. And I just feel like this guilt of like, damn, disobeyed my mom. I ate the turkeys; they weren't that good. Now I feel sick, and now I gotta cover it up. I hope there wasn't a snitch around. I mean, like I'm like, I'm like going through it in my young mind. And when my mom confronted me, she said, you see, I know you took the Twinkies. And I know that my closet is really jacked up because of what you did. But I love you. And I'm going to help you restore my closet. Baby, next time, just tell me what you did. Tell me what you did. Man, I think this is what David is illustrating right here. David is telling God what he did. Why? Because he knew God's character according to God's word. And according to God's word, he knew that God could cleanse him. And my failure not to tell my mom was a failure to know her character, a disobedience of what she did, and a failure to recognize that my mom just wanted to develop me, not destroy me. So the question is, how do we develop a heart that's broken before God? in the heart that's sorrowful for what we did. The way that we do this is by submitting to God's character, found in God's word, and to God's cleansing process in prayer. Family, we need to tell God what we did. We need to name it. We need to say it. And we need to ask God for forgiveness. Because God does not delight with us trying to fix our lives. God delights when he enters into our lives to fix it and say, follow me. That's what God is calling us to do today. Let's pray. Father, we... We come before you, Lord, because we, we need you, Lord. God, and right now, we just want to say we're sorry. We're sorry, Lord, for those times that we've offended you, offended others. God, and we ask you for forgiveness, Lord, for our sins. Matter of fact, can we, can we all stand up, church family? Maybe let's... You could repeat after me. Heavenly Father, I confess that I have sinned against you. Father, 
I confess that I've been hiding my sin in many instances. Father, I confess that you are true. And Father, I ask that you would cleanse me with the blood of Jesus. In Jesus' name.